let's consider key point number two, and we'll continue down the passage. This is during the challenge itself. During the challenge itself. Remember that you overcome the enemy by faith. Let's pick back up at verse 6. Joshua said, or then Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of rams, horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Proceed and march around the city, and let him who is armed advance before the Ark of the Lord. And so it was. When Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets, and the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priest who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard came after the ark while the priest continued blowing the trumpets. Now Joshua had commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, Shout. Then you shall shout. So he had had the ark of the, the Lord circle the city, going around it once. Then they came into the camp and lodged at the camp. Joshua rose early in the morning. The priest took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests, bearing seven trumpets of rams and horns before the ark of the Lord, went on continually and blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them. But the rear guard came up after the ark of the Lord while the priest continued blowing the trumpets. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this six days. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. Only that day, on that day only they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened, when the priest blew the trumpets, that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now skip down to verse 20. So the people shouted, when the priests blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet that the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. Oh, what an incredible, incredible narrative. The Christian faith is not a blind faith. The Christian faith is not one void of evidence. I mean, I, I hear people say stuff like that. Well, I just, you know, I just don't understand. Christian, the Christian faith is so blind, and, you know, or the Christian faith just doesn't, doesn't have evidence. And I would suggest the opposite is true, that God again and again and again has given us incredible evidence. In fact, the people of Israel had watched God, consider this, open the Red Sea, destroy the Egyptian army, provide for them in the wilderness, divide the Jordan River, and then brought them safely to the Promised Land. That's a lot of evidence. That's a lot of evidence. But I want us to consider, what does faith look like? What does a a solid theological understanding of faith look like? There's three parts. Three parts. The first is, if we're we're going to have faith, the first thing that we have to have is some knowledge. 
some knowledge. Here's what I mean by that. You cannot have faith in something that you know nothing about, right? I mean, that's just just common sense. I can't place my faith in something if I don't know anything about it. I have to have some knowledge, right? And without that knowledge, I will never have faith. So how do we get that knowledge? Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We cannot have faith in something that we are unaware of or know nothing about. So if we're going to express faith, especially faith in God, but faith of any kind, it has to begin with some knowledge. If we're going to express Christian faith, then we have to recognize that it comes from the Word of God, that that's where our knowledge of that faith comes from. So, number one, if we're going to express faith, if we're going to have faith, we have to have some knowledge. Can't express faith if you don't know anything about it. Number two, the object of your faith must be proven to be true. What do I mean by that? Galatians 2.16 says, Knowing that man is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law, for by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. Galatians 2.16 is telling us that the object of our faith is to be, number one, it's it's to be Christ. But to understand this, Whatever we place our faith in, it has to be proven to be true. Christ and his resurrection proves that he is true. That's that's the whole purpose of his resurrection. The whole purpose of his resurrection brings victory over the grave. It demonstrates that he truly is the Son of God. It demonstrates that he has conquered death in the grave and that, that he himself can come back from death. He is, in fact, the second person of the triune Godhead. We can have faith in something, but what if what we have faith in is not true? So we have to make sure that it's true, and it has to be proven to be true in order for us to have genuine faith. So we have to have some knowledge. The object of our faith, for us, it's identified as Christ, and that object has to be proven to be true. And then there's a third component to faith. And it's this third part that is essential to the Christian faith, that we, w- w- there is a submission to the object of our faith. We have some knowledge of it. We believe it to be true. And now we submit to it. The best illustration that I've seen for this over and over and over is I have evidence or some knowledge that that chair would hold me up. I've got knowledge of that. Why? Because I've seen that that's how it's used. I've observed it. I've heard about it. I know that chairs hold people up. What evidence do I have that proves that that's true, that that chair would hold me up? I look around the room, and I see other people sitting in chairs. 
And they are testimonies, evidence that chairs hold you up. So I have some knowledge that that chair would hold me up. I have evidence that the object of my faith is true because it's demonstrated throughout the room. But there's that third component of faith. The only way that I can truly demonstrate that faith is to do what? Sit in it. The moment that I sit in the chair, that's the moment that I have reckoned my faith. That is the moment that I have made my faith submissive to the object of my faith. I have submitted myself to it. I have committed. The object of our faith, consider this, James chapter 2, verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? What is James saying? What does it good if you have some knowledge if you don't sit in the chair? What is it good if, you, if everybody knows about it but nobody's willing to sit down? It's, it's no good. If someone says that he has faith but, he, but does not have works, never sits in the chair, can that faith save him? He says, he's saying knowledge and even having the right object of faith is an insufficient faith to save. The only way that it is, your faith is sufficient is if you actually submit to the object of your faith. So James is making that point. We cannot just have some knowledge. We cannot have even the proper object of our faith if we never submit our faith is meaningless. There's that moment, almost like when you're, for me, I can remember this moment of salvation. I remember coming back from camp, and I remember thinking I need to let people know, and I need to submit to Christ, and my hands were, were gripping that pew. And there came that moment when, when I said, okay, I'm ready to do this. And I let go of the pew, and there was this shift out into the, the aisle to go forward and, and talk with the pastor about my need for salvation and to commit my life. That shift, there was something about that that was saying, I, I, I'm ready to reckon. I'm ready to obey. Here's what it reminds me of. I want you to check out this, this video clip. This is an old 1989 movie. You guys might even be familiar with it.
All right, that, that's a great visual. Here's why. Did Indy have some knowledge? Yes. He had some knowledge. His faith, consider this, what was the object of his faith? His faith was placed in whoever wrote the riddle, right? He has this little book, and it's got all these illustrations, and it's like, you know, the leap of faith. So he had some knowledge, but there had to be a point where he is going, you know, is, is this true? And the object of his faith was, do I believe what these people wrote down? So he had knowledge. The object of his faith is going to be the people in, in the people who wrote down this little riddle. But when was that faith reckoned? You, I mean, it was such a great visual, right? You see the foot come up, and then there's this obvious shift of weight. There was that, that point of no return that he, you know, I mean, the foot up is one thing, but he could do what? He could always pull it back. I mean, they have this great visual, this foot comes up, and then you know there's this shift of weight, and you even hear this thump. You know that that weight has now shifted, and that, that, that reckoning has happened. He had some knowledge. The object of his faith was in the people who told him that this was true, and he submitted. And in that moment, that his weight shifted after extending his foot. So do you want victory in your life? then, then you, you better know the promises of God. Know them. Know what God has promised. Understand that God alone is to be the object of our faith. Nothing else. But God himself is the object of our faith. And then submit to the object of our faith through obedience.